Multiple years ago, I was having a cup of coffee with a really good friend of mine, Steve Price. Now, Steve is currently the executive vice president for human resources for Dell EMC worldwide. And what that means is Steve is ultimately the guy responsible for the hiring, the firing, the training and equipping, and the deployment of a worldwide team of people of about 140,000 people. I mean, that's a massive job. And when we were having this cup of coffee years ago, Dell wasn't quite the size that it is now. And it, at the time, they were going through a co-CEO experiment where they had two people functioning as the CEO, Michael Dell, of course, and then at the time, Kevin Rollins. And while we were having coffee that day, Steve Price said to me something so fascinating. He said, you know, Mac, I, I, I realized something just a few months ago. He said, I realized that Michael or Kevin could come into my office at any moment and fire me. And that was when I started having fun. I, I, my, I mean, you're like me. My response at the time was like, what is in that coffee that you're drinking? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. That is so counterintuitive. Think about how countercultural that is. Who do you know who says, man, I could get fired at any moment. Isn't this fun? I mean, that's a little bit crazy. But what I have learned since then in that conversation with Steve and in the years since is that Steve had discovered something about who God is and how he impacts, how he infiltrates our work life that is so profound, that is so misunderstood. You see, Steve was giving voice to the concept of God-driven job security. Job security. He was talking about the fact that in a relationship with Christ, our work life, where most of us spend most of our time every day, whether it's in the marketplace or the home place or, or even for students. How many of y'all attend a class of some sort? How many of y'all are students day in and day out? Let me just see a show of hands. Okay, this is so important for y'all. This is so, so, and it's important for all of us, but especially those of you who are in class. Let me just, just real quickly, if, if you're in school right now, wherever you're sitting in the auditorium, listen, at some point, God willing, you are going to get to buy your own food. You're going to get to go out and get a job and move out. That's, let me just tell you a secret. That's your prayer, parents' prayer is that one day you move out, okay? But if you can begin to understand and appropriate what we're talking about today in terms of, of job security, you are going to be so far ahead, not only of your peers, but of your parents. You're going to be so far ahead of most of the world. Because here's what happens. The world, the world reduces job security to its lowest common denominator. Do I have a job? Do I get a paycheck? Do I have a place to go to work? And, and those kind of things. Whereas the gospel, Jesus, Jesus elevates job security because the gospel elevates every single part of life that it touches. No matter where we invite Jesus into, it gets better. 
And that's why he wants to be the Lord of all. He wants to be the Lord of all of our lives because he knows that that's how our lives work best. The good news of Jesus is that the good news makes everything better. Every part of life, whether it's your family, your marriage, your work, your hobby, your working out, your sleeping, your traveling, all of it is elevated. All of it is enhanced and improved in a relationship with God because that's what we were created for. That's why we launched this new year with this series, You Had One Job, that our, all of us are created with one job in mind, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's my job. That's your job. That's the job of all God's chilling, that we enjoy him and glorify him forever. So tell your neighbor like you mean it, with passion and enthusiasm, you got one job. One job. Now, the beautiful thing about this one job is that it doesn't matter what you do. You may be an attorney. You could be a pastor. You could be a student. You could be a stay-at-home mom. You could be a working mom. You could be a stay-at-home dad. No matter what you do, you've got one job. And within that one job, the pursuit of glorifying and enjoying God forever provides for us a job security that the world can't even imagine. The world can't even touch because the pursuit of this one job, the pursuit of worshiping God in everything that we do provides a passion and a purpose to our profession. It, it provides not only a passion and a purpose, it provides a, it, it's a perspective that provides a peace that passes understanding. And so this job security transcends industries. It transcends careers. It transcends life station. This job security applies for everyone who signs up for this one job to glorify God in every single thing that we do. Every thought that we have, every word that we say, every work or effort of our hands to glorify him. Now, when we gather together on the weekends, we've always got two goals. We want to proclaim and we want to explain. We want to proclaim Jesus, first of all, to people who don't yet know what it means to have a relationship with Christ. That's, that's one of our primary reasons for being as a church family. So we want to proclaim Jesus, that, that he's about a relationship that transcends religion and rules and regulations and all those things. But we also want to proclaim Jesus for those who are already followers of Christ, the already convinced, and, and to remind ourselves that, you know, this Jesus thing really is good. In all of his grace and truth, it is amazing that it penetrates and pierces every single part of life. And so that's the proclamation part. But then there's also the explanation. We want to explain what it means not only to have this faith, but then to, to actually put it into practice, to, to put it out there into the world, to, to live it out. The Bible calls it working out our faith. So we want to proclaim and we want to explain. And we always do this from, the, from a bedrock, from a foundation of the Bible. Because the fact of the matter is you will never discover 
anything true or anything real about God and about how to coexist with God that contradicts Scripture. The Bible is God's Word from Genesis to Revelation and all points in between. It is God-breathed, God-inspired. And so today, we're going to go to the life of Joseph. When I say Joseph, today we're talking about Old Testament Joseph back in Genesis Genesis chapter 39. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to go there and look that up. Maybe it's on your phone. And if you're not sure where something is, go to the table of contents. If you don't know everything about the Bible, you're in good company. None of us do. Every single one of us in this, in this room at some point or another has used the table of contents to look something up in the Bible. Hey, I bet 98% of us don't know where Habakkuk is. <laughs> Titus. You're like, I don't know. Table of contents. Don't be ashamed of the table of contents. Now, Genesis is easy. It's the first one. And in Genesis 39, the Bible records for us a significant, significant era in the life of Joseph. Now, remember, this is Old Testament Joseph. New Testament Joseph was the earthly father of Jesus that we're briefly introduced to in the Gospels. But this is Old Testament Joseph. And let me just give you a little bit of background Old Testament Joseph lived about 500 years before Moses. So 500 years before Moses, and we know that Moses was around about 1,400 years before Jesus, give or take. So roughly, we're talking about 2,000 years before Jesus, 4,000 years from you and me right here, right now. So 4,000 years ago, God saw fit to record the facts and the, the history of the life of Joseph so that we would understand him and how to live out this life he's given to us. And so God's given us this in Genesis chapter 39. And we understand from the, the biblical background that Joseph's father was Jacob. And Jacob was the father. He had at least 12 sons who would eventually become the 12 tribes of Israel. But at this moment, Joseph was his favorite. And, and, and Jacob made no bones about it. He didn't try to hide it. You know, parents say all the time, like, I don't have a favorite. I love all my children equally. They're just different. Okay. But Joseph didn't even try to hide it. All of Joseph's, I'm sorry, Jacob didn't try to hide it. All of Joseph's brothers knew he was the favorite. Jo Jacob even went to the trouble of, of creating or, or giving to Joseph this, this incredibly elaborately decorated coat or cloak for him to wear that kind of was just a walking billboard of daddy's favoritism. It, it was like, I mean, family dysfunction on parade. And now Joseph didn't help the situation. This was a sibling rivalry on steroids. And Joseph kind of fanned the flames of the sibling rivalry by going so far as to tell his family that he had had some dreams that one day they would all bow down to him. Now, can we just take a moment? How many of y'all have brothers and sisters? Let me just see you show hands. I do. I've got two brothers. What would you do if your brother said to you, just want you to know, it's no big deal, but at some point you're going to bow down to me. Let me tell you where Pastor Mac would have landed. This is a long time ago. I would have punched him in the mouth. Or the throat. I mean, I, I, that would, I mean like you just... A brother just doesn't say that. And this sibling rivalry got so bad, 
Now, of course, I wouldn't have punched him in the throat. Let me rush to say, but I'm just saying that's what I would have wanted to do. This sibling rivalry got so bad that Joseph's brothers, the most of them, the majority of them, wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. And one day they had an opportunity to do just that. They were out away from the house tending their father Jacob's flocks. And, and Joseph came skipping up to kind of see how they were doing and take a report back to daddy. And they started to kind of scheme for the murder. And the oldest, Reuben, Reuben spoke up and he said, brothers, brothers, we cannot kill our brother. He is our own flesh and blood. Let's sell him as a slave. And so that's exactly what they did. They sold him off to slave traders. Then, check this out, to cover the tracks of their lie, they took that beautifully colored coat that Jacob had given to Joseph, they ripped it off of him, and as they waved goodbye to the slave traders, they took that coat, and the Bible says they dipped it in the blood of a young goat that they had killed, and they, they dipped it in blood, and then they began their journey home, and they're like, Dad will never know. Dad will never know. And they walk in the door at home and they're like, Dad, Father. <laughs> Joseph's gone. This coat that you gave him, this beautiful coat, was all we could find. Covered in blood. Well, you can imagine Jacob's grief. His heartbreak. And meanwhile, the brothers are like, High five, and they're like, We pulled it off, he's gone, see ya. But in the meantime, tell your neighbor, in the meantime, in the meantime, it just so happens that those slave traders were on their way to Egypt. And they continued on their way to Egypt, and when they got to Egypt, they wanted to sell off this little Canaanite boy called Joseph. And so they sold him at a slave auction. And it just so happens that the person who bought Joseph, this chattel, was a man by the name of Potiphar. Now Potiphar was an interesting cat in his own right. Potiphar was the captain of the guard to Pharaoh. At this period, Pharaoh was the most powerful person on the planet. And Potiphar was his chief of staff, his captain of the guard militarily. And he sees Joseph and buys him as a slave and takes him home. And it's in this context, as a slave, that Joseph starts to teach us about job security. Look at what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 39, verse 2. The Bible says the Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded. Real quickly, I want you to write down a working definition of God-driven job security. God-driven job security. God-driven job security is this. It is the confidence that God will provide as he is glorified. It's the confidence that God will provide as he is glorified. And, and you see this in brilliant 4K HD 
as Joseph is enslaved to Potiphar. The Bible says that the Lord was with him and he caused everything he did to succeed in Potiphar's household. Here's the principle that we have to put into practice. We're talking about practice, man. Practice. Job security depends on your purpose. Job security depends on your purpose, on my purpose. That means why we get up and go every day. You, you got to know your why. Ask your neighbor right now like you really mean it. Go, say, man, you know your why? Just ask him. Now, you don't have to answer right now. But when we think about our why, why do we work? Why do we go to class? Some of us, maybe you get up and go to work just because you got to pay the bills. It's money. And you got to eat. That's a valid reason to work. It's not a valid why, but it's a valid reason to work. Maybe, maybe money for you is not just to pay the bills. Maybe for you, money is how you keep score. You, you just kind of keep stacking it up, baby. I got more and more and more. What's the score? So that's, that's your deal. Now, keeping score with money, paying your bills and providing for your family, that's not a bad thing in and of itself, but it's not a why. It's not a sufficient why. Maybe for you, you get up and go every day because it's a calling for you. It's a calling. You feel compelled to do what you do. I think about teachers. Teachers, man, that's a calling. Ain't nobody in the world ever become a teacher for the money. It's a calling. You love to do it. A friend once told my mom, who was a lifelong teacher, said, you will never get the chalk dust out of your veins if you're called to it. Maybe, maybe instead of money or calling, maybe, maybe for you, it's a passion. And you love what you do. Like for me, I can't believe I get to pastor. Now, there are parts of my job that I'm not crazy about, just like everybody. But I love my job. I love what I get to do. It's, it's a passion, and a passion's a good thing, to be sure. But by itself, it's not a big enough why. Other people, maybe instead of money or calling or passion, maybe, maybe your why is approval. Maybe, maybe you want the approval of, of other people, neighbors or friends, peers. Maybe you get up and work every single day and stay up too late because you're gaining, trying to gain the approval of a parent who's not even still alive. So you, you got to know your why, you, your purpose. As a matter of fact, that's why we do spur leadership here as a church. It is to help infuse your profession with purpose. To provide purpose to the predictable day in and day out. That's why we're, we're doing this breakfast on Friday morning with Allie Davidson from Camp Gladiator. She is such a perfect example of what we're talking about throughout this entire series. It is imperative that, that, you're, that you're here Friday morning. It's going to be worth your time. I can't encourage you strongly enough. But it, it's ultimately about you or me figuring out our why. And our why 
is in that little passage there. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. So Joseph could say, no matter where I am, whether I'm back home as daddy's favorite or I'm enslaved in a foreign land hundreds and hundreds of miles from home, my why is my God. My why is him being with me and me being with him. That's my purpose. That's, that's why I'm doing this. But Joseph's not done. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 in Genesis 39. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Isn't that an amazing statement? Joseph was so good at what he did that his boss didn't worry about a thing. Here's the principle. Yes, it's true that our, our, our job security depends it depends on our purpose, but also our job security deepens with proficiency. Our job security deepens with our proficiency. That means you get good at something. Joseph, Joseph was so good. Check this out. Potiphar tell him, Joseph, take care of the flocks. Take care of the household. And then Potiphar just come back home and be like, well, I don't know. Steak or salmon tonight? <laughs> just, I'm just torn. That was it. All he had to worry about was what to eat. Whole 30 or chicken fried steak? But it's in that proficiency. It's in getting good at something. Ever since the beginning days of Lake Hills Church, we have tried to eradicate and exterminate the good guy or the good girl philosophy of the Christian faith. That, that, is, that, that is one of the things that drives me absolutely batty. Christians who live and act like, I just need to be a good guy. I'm just going to be a good guy. I'm just going to be a good girl. Are you kidding me? Being a good guy or a good girl, that's, that's the price of admission. You got to do something, Jack. Jackie. You, you, got to, you got to get good at something. If you're a ditch digger, man, you ought to know the ins and outs and the intricacies of your shovel better than anybody on the planet if you follow Jesus. If you're an attorney and you're a Christian, wait, that's not even a reality. But if you, I tease because I care. I'm just kidding. One of my best friends is a Christian attorney, we think. But... But your proficiency, get good at something. Students, get good at whatever you do. The Bible says whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So, man, you, you drink that water, drink it well. Whatever you do, develop a proficiency, a skill, a talent. Be good at your job. While you're developing your proficiency, let me, let me just mention a couple of parallel tracks that are so important to also be proficient at. 
The first is loyalty. Christ followers ought to be the most loyal employees and partners on the planet. Loyalty in the environment you and I inhabit is an endangered species. If you cash the check, be loyal to the people who signed it. And if you can't be loyal because of their moral or ethical shortcomings, move on. Whoa, 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 Matt. whoa, whoa, I can't move on. I got a family to feed. I get that. But remember, the definition of God-driven job security is the confidence, or let's just call it the faith, that God will provide when he is glorified. So be loyal. The other track is grit. People who follow Jesus ought to be the grittiest people in the world. We did an entire sermon series on this just not too long ago. Remember what we said about grit, G-R-I-T? It's God-honoring, it is relentless, it is intentional, and it is tenacity. God-honoring, relentless, intentional tenacity. That's grit. Be a person of grit. Don't quit. Don't quit. First little problem comes up, my boss yelled at me. Get in line. That, that, that happens. If they're not a Christ follower, why are you expecting them to act like Jesus? It's just, it's just so hard. It's called work. Vacation is easy. Work is hard. Be a person of grit. You know, for a long time, I've been a huge fan of Winston Churchill. I, I love me some Churchill. I do. I think anyone who can save the world from tyranny and fascism while smoking good Cuban cigars is somebody who ought to be admired and thanked. I think we have a picture of Winnie. How, how do you not love that face? I, I love me some Winston Churchill. It was, a, I don't know, two or three years ago maybe, I came across a quote from Churchill that, that I'd never seen before, and I've, I've done the research on it, and historians are divided over its exact origin, but they're almost certain it originated in the throes of World War II when Great Britain was under almost constant bombardment from Germany. And, and Churchill said this about grit. Here it is. It is not enough that we do our best. Sometimes we must do what is required. It's not enough that we do our best. Sometimes we must do what is required. Here's the deal. You can get away with murder by saying, I did my best. My kids have tried that for 22 years. Dad, I did my best. I did my best but you didn't finish the job. Sometimes you got to finish the job. Tell your neighbor right now, do your job. Sometimes you have to do what is required. Your best is not going to be enough. In those instances, the grace of God we know is sufficient for everything. Do what is required. Loyalty and grit are massive areas of proficiency for Christ followers. But i got to give you a warning. I can't lie to you. There is no amount of proficiency, skill, talent, or intellect that can sufficiently or completely guard you against setbacks or reversals or problems. None. 
Sometimes things happen outside of our control. Joseph experienced this. In the case of Joseph, his setback came in the form of Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife was a piece of work. Potiphar's wife. The Bible tells us that Joseph was handsome in form and in face. In the original Hebrew, it means Joseph was hot. And Potiphar's wife took notice of him so much so that the Bible tells us she was seducing him day in and day out. Now check that out. And yet Joseph remained a man of grit. Joseph remained true to God, true to his integrity, and refused her advances over and over and over and over again. This was a situation, it wasn't like Joseph could go, you know what? This work environment is not for me. I need to go down the street and get a new job. He was a slave, so he was stuck. So much so that one day, Joseph was tending to his duties in Potiphar's household, and his wife, Potiphar's wife, again, approached him to seduce him. And this time, the Bible says Joseph turned and ran from her, which, by the way, is always a great response to sexual temptation. The most spiritual, God-honoring, most profound thing you'll ever do when tempted sexually is run. And when Joseph turned to run, she grabbed his cloak and she took it off of him and he just kept running. Run, Forrest, run. He just, he just kept going. And she held onto his cloak until Potiphar got home from work that day and she said, honey, potty, the slave you brought into our home tried to assault me. Here is his cloak. You see the a level of deception that happens throughout this story? Now, you and I look at that and call that injustice. But in 2000 B.C. Egypt, they didn't worry a whole lot about due process or innocent until proven guilty. Potiphar just tossed him into prison. Potiphar said, he's done. Toss him into prison, let him rot, let him be forgotten, let him die, I don't care. And yet it was there as a, an imprisoned slave that Joseph continues to, to show us something about this idea of job security. Look at what the Bible says. Verse 21, he's thrown in prison, but, everybody say but. But the Lord was with Joseph. Are you noticing a pattern here? You see this happening? The Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Now, if you haven't heard anything else, don't miss this. Job security, God-driven job security, transcends your position. It transcends your position. Some people think, well, I don't have any job security. I'm a low man. I'm a low woman on the totem pole. They can cut me at any moment. Hey, that's true for all of us. 
But God-driven job security transcends a position. Remember, I, I told you earlier that the, the, the world kind of reduces the idea of job security to a lowest common denominator. I found out this week in studying for this message that our government actually releases statistics every year of the jobs that have the most job security and the least job security. They rank them 1 to 25. It's fascinating. It's interesting, the, the, the list of the greatest job security, you, you could probably predict a lot of them. Things like dental hygienists, they don't get fired very often. Um, dental hygienists, uh, aerospace engineers, they get paid well and rarely get fired. There just aren't a lot of them. Rocket scientists. Um, I like to call them rocket surgeons. Also on the list of, of high job security, I was really encouraged, clergy is on the list of high job security. So I, I felt good about that. Um, keep going down the list. There, there are other careers, other professions. The number one greatest job security, according to the United States government, is dentist. Dentist. <laughs> dentist, you know, they rarely fire themselves. It's weird how it works out like that. But then the, 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 the list of the least job security, that, I thought that was also interesting. You could predict a lot of those too, like um, professional dishwashers. They, they kind of come and go. Uh, food prep people. I'm not talking about chefs. I'm talking about like food prep. Like if you're you know, dishing up the, the Big Mac, that's got a high degree of, of job insecurity. Um, what else? On, on the least job security you read down that list, the, oh, I know models. Apparently models are having a very hard time. If you're, if you're, if you're a model, it, it's very hard to get, it's very hard to find sustained employment if you're really, 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 really good looking. Um, but then I, I kept reading the list and the number one least job security in the United States, actor. Actors are experiencing 26% unemployment. It's not the most encouraging thing when your son is a theater major in college, but that, that's a whole other issue. And, and honestly, I don't, I don't worry about Joe. He's gonna, he'll figure it out and, and make it happen. But it, still, you kind of look like, whoa. Just thought I'd let you know, son. You know, you're at a physics school. You're at an engineering school. You could... But anyway, that's, that's our own little issue. <laughs> and, I, and I talked to Joe. He knew that I was going to share that this morning. He's excited about it. <laughs> Job security. This past week, just two days ago actually, we had the blessing. We had the privilege of witnessing the transfer of power in our nation, the peaceful transfer of power. And I'm always fascinated by that. Every four years that it happens, I want you to think about this for a second. What are the odds over the course of the history of the world that you and I would be alive at the time and in the place where there is this peaceful transfer of power, where the person who holds the power willingly relinquishes the power to his or her successor. And before the ceremony, they actually sit down in the same room over tea. Over T. 
So you and I live in a place where the transfer of power happens not at the muzzle of a gun or a tank, but with a question. One lump or two. May we never take for granted the blessing that that is. But may we also always remember the absolutely pitch perfect representation that it is of the Christian faith. Because the Christian faith is all about a transfer of power. The Christian faith means that I have personally, willingly, and willfully relinquish the power of my life to a power greater than myself. It means that I have chosen to say, Jesus, you are God, and I am not. And I will follow you with everything that I have, in everything that I do. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's that transfer of power. Now, like our political system, sometimes it can be a messy process. But ultimately, Jesus doesn't rip the power out of our hands. He just knocks. He just knocks on the door. And if we invite him in, he comes in to dine with us, the Bible says. He comes into our lives in a personal profound and powerful way. So that we have the ultimate job security on the planet in the universe. If you're here today and you've never experienced that transfer of power, you've never chosen to willingly, willfully hand the power to Jesus and begin a relationship with God, We want to give you the opportunity to do that in just a moment. Just to pray right where you're sitting. You don't have to pass a test or, you know, make sure that you're here 50 out of 52 weeks a year. You, you just have to transfer the power to the ultimate power himself. To acknowledge the fact and the reality, the truth that he is God and we are not and you want him to be God. You want him to be the Lord of your life. I want to ask you just to bow your heads for a moment. And as you bow your heads, I want to just remind you, please don't anybody get up and move for any reason. Do not be the distraction that takes somebody's mind, somebody's heart away from what God is doing in their lives right now, please. Because this is too important. But if you want to transfer the power, if you want to begin following Christ, then you just pray right where you're sitting, something like this. Just silently talk to God. Just in your own words, just say this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. And right here, right now, I'm transferring power. You are God. I am not. I confess my sin, all of it. And I will claim your forgiveness. 
and live in your grace in all of its amazing power. Jesus, thank you. As our heads are bowed for just another moment, I want to just say a couple of things to those of you who just prayed that prayer. First of all, you're amongst people who are on your side, people who have prayed for you, maybe by name, but certainly that God would use us to communicate his grace. And so if you're here today, we want to be a family of faith to you. We want to help in any way that we can. And so I want to ask you just to let us know that you took that step a couple of ways. Number one, take the connect card that's in your program and just fill it out before you leave today. Name, contact info. But indicate there on that connect card, I committed my life to Christ today. And before you leave, just hand it to one of our ushers, one of our hosts, and make a personal connection. And then second of all, I want to just ask you, as our, our heads are bowed in this sacred moment, would you just raise your hand and just quietly but unmistakably raise your hand if you just transferred that power and stepped into a relationship with Christ as you raise your hand you're acknowledging the significance and the reality of this moment in your life but also in the life of this church and as a family of faith we honor that we we celebrate it as you put your hands down we put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.